You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good evening, everybody. Robert Carrillo here from Metro Vision Studios, and uh, we're in Metro Vision Studio A tonight. We haven't been here in a while. Um, And again, I'm your substitute teacher for the night. Uh, We are excited. Reese uh, Reese Kiaina will be preaching this Sunday, so I'm super excited about that. Um, Tonight, we are launching into another level of our deeper study on restoration of personal life and community of Jesus. And specifically, we're going to be talking about roles. And specifically, more specific than that, we're going to be talking about the women's role and leadership roles for women, as well as uh, we're also going to be talking about some of our structure. I'm going to do a quick review of some of the things we talked about last week and then jump right on in. And tonight will be kind of the, uh, you know, I gave the backdrop last week. Tonight's going to be kind of the foundation, and then we're going to build on that. Um, you know, it's funny because I originally was going to try to do this study on the role of women and women's leadership in the church and other roles in the church. And I was trying to cram that into one or two studies, and I realized, you know, what am I in a hurry for? This is an important topic. Let's go ahead and take the time we need to dig into Scripture and really get this down right. Um, it's a very important topic for the church, for our future, and um, and for the world, for that matter. So a little bit of backdrop, a little bit of, of what we did last year. We, we talked about um, how our church handles Scripture, how our church deals with the Bible. We kind of have a blueprint model um, and and that's kind of how we know, you know, for in, in, in Tim first Timothy four sixteen says, Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We know it's very important that we watch our life and doctrine both, right? Most of us came out of some kind of a denominational background that wasn't watching neither life nor doctrine, you know, or maybe was big on doctrine but not big on life. And or maybe big on life, but not big on doctrine. And the Bible says calls us to watch them both. You know, I don't want to re-preach this, but I will say it's incredibly important. And the reason, part of the reason we're taking our time to really walk through this, is because a topic such as women's leadership or or the leadership structure of the church, it's a very important topic. And, you know, the old saying, the old adage, as go the leaders, so go the people, is very true. So it's important that we get this right, that we understand this, and that, that we're all think, walk through this together. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of forces out there. We have, we have extremes out there pulling in each direction, and we tend to, you know, uh, uh, we tend to lean to the left or lean to the right. We tend to be more liberal, conservative, we t- or, or conservative, you know, progressive. Or more traditional, and and most of us have a leaning. It's, I, I've noticed several times where God, at key moments in, in 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 God's people's history, He would tell them, "Go neither to the left nor to the right, but pay careful attention to what I have said to you or to the word." And that call, I mean, that was the call that God gave in Joshua chapter one when He told him, "Do not be afraid," which was, of course, you know, the most common commandment in the Bible, but. But he said, don't be afraid, but don't go to the left and don't go to the right. Pay attention to what God says. And and so we do that to keep balance because especially with things like changes and, you know, we, we talked a lot about last week about the restoration process that we're always restoring. We're growing in our understanding and therefore we're growing in our practice 
And we have those extremes. The one extreme is is the traditional approach of, you know, that's not the way we've done it before. Why can't we just keep doing things the way we've always done it? You know, and there's there's a part of us that, that you know, personalities that we like that. Don't change things. Just keep it the way it is. But we can't just keep it the way it is. We should be growing in, in our knowledge of God and how we practice and even growing in our restoration that we're restoring more and more the church of the New Testament and and the life of Jesus. But then there's the other side that is kind of anti-tradition and it's like, you know, what, what does the world think? What are people saying? What are they talking about? And and it's more trying to keep up with the times and trying to, you know, stay with current and and there's again, just like tradition, there's a part of that that's good and right that we have to be able to adapt and evolve in society, but that doesn't mean that we throw away our doctrine or that we throw away the written word of God. The written word of God is what ultimately has to guide us along. Now, there may be different ways we preach, share, reach out, do church. That can evolve. And if, I mean, church was not done one static way. If you look in the Bible, and even in the New Testament, you, you definitely get the feeling that the church in Jerusalem was different than the church in Rome. The church in Ephesus was probably different than the church in Jerusalem or Rome, you know, each will, will, will adapt to its environment. And that's okay. As long as we hold on to watching our life and watching our doctrine. So when we're dealing with something as, as important and as big as the leadership of how the, what is our leadership structure of the church and what is the role of women in that leadership? It's very important that we're not stuck in the past of tradition and we're also not just jumping on the bandwagon in every trend that comes through the world, but we're staying faithful to God. We're living up to all the freedom God has given us, but we're also holding to the foundational truths that God has given us. That's why we're going through this in such depth and so carefully. So we talked about restoration um, and the, you know, the question that we, we kind of have behind everything we do is what is the New Testament pattern? What does the New Testament teach us and show us? Um, and even behind our doctrine, that we get our doctrine right, what we believe is what the Bible teaches, right? That, um, that we have our lifestyle to back it up. What is called, in bigger circles, it's called discipleship. And we say discipleship, we think of somebody helping somebody become Christian. But discipleship really is is all about learning to live in obedience to Jesus. It's all about following Jesus. And that certainly doesn't stop when we get baptized. In fact, it really goes into hyperdrive. Um, organization of the church, you know, that we try as much as we can to follow the pattern of the New Testament. What did elders do? What did evangelists do? What, what did teachers do? What did deacons do? Um, what was their role? And that's that's why we're looking at this, because we want the church to be as healthy as possible and as close to to what the apostles set up as possible. That's why it's called the restoration movement that we're a part of. So, and then of course, practice is how we live. And it's very important to us that we are not hypocrites, that we're not people deceived thinking that we're following Jesus, but we're not. You remember in Matthew 7, when Jesus told the one group, he said, he He said, away from me, you doers, I never knew you. And they said, well, wait, we... Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons. We did all these things. But he said, away from me. I don't know you. And, you know, that's that's a, what a horrible thing to happen, to be deceived thinking you're following Jesus and you're not. So in order to make sure that we don't do either, we're not hypocrites and we're not deceived, we do these Bible studies. And we make sure and we check ourselves. 
Am I doing this? You know, one of the things I love about, about doing discipleship studies is whenever you're sitting there teaching somebody what a disciple is, of course, the question bounces right back at you, right? I'm thinking, okay, am I doing this? Am I holding to the truth? Am I loving everybody? Am I out making disciples? Am I, am I helping people to know God, right? Because, and, and what I love to do in counting the cost, whenever I do the counting the cost study, which is usually the last study done, I ask people first, what is a disciple? And they should be able to tell me that, you know, John 8, 31 says we hold to the truth. John 13, 34 says that we love each other. John 15, 8 says that we have a fruitful life. They should be able to repeat that because that's basic tenets of what a disciple is. And and then I ask them, so do you see that in our church? And that's always kind of a, you know, you ask that and then you, you know, hope that for the right answer because we don't want to be deceived and we don't want to be hypocrites. Uh, so that's why we're studying this out, is our effort to to be right with God in doctrine and to be right with God in practice and what we're doing. So again, 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about? We're talking about our spirituality, living in him. That's our theme, right? That we grow. Our goal is is that we have the greatest spiritual year of our life. That's our goal. So we're going to have classes and workshops and all kinds of things. This weekend, the spiritual formation classes start. Lots of you are registering for that. If you still haven't registered, register quick because you got to order a book. And uh, you want to get that as soon as possible, be preferably before the class starts, but probably too late now. No, maybe still. Amazon's pretty fast. But also, we're going to talk about church structure because we want the church well taken care of. And we don't have the money to go out and hire 10 full-time people to do all this stuff for us. We're we're going to be more like the New Testament church that rarely had anybody work full-time. You know, once in a while, but most of the time, no. They just took care of each other and they took care of the church. And, And to have that, all the roles, deacon, elders, teachers, evangelists, ministers even, uh, are very important. The role of minister is just a Latin term for deacon. It's the same thing. It's who takes care of the church. So, you know, we look at the way that God did all this. He was very diverse. God is a God of diversity. You know, again, I already said it. Jerusalem is probably not the same as Ephesus, probably not the same as Rome. So I want to go ahead and jump on in to the, and, and this is, we're going to look at one thing tonight. And I, like I said, this is only introductory, but I think we're going to, what we're going to do tonight is lay the foundation of this discussion and this study. What do we need to know first? This is what I think is the most important thing. And we're going to walk through the main scriptures that deal with this. Um, there, a couple of years ago, uh, some of the leadership in the ICLC commissioned the teachers group to please do a study of women's roles and women's leadership in the church. We knew we were behind. We knew we weren't doing all that we could do. But, you know, more out of caution and fear of error, people were kind of hesitant to push forward. So they asked the teachers, guide us along, give us the understanding of what the scriptures teach. So the teachers committee did a study uh, that's very extensive. It's an awesome study. It's very deep. It's very, it's long. <laughs> and and so the, once that was put out, which helped a lot in the understanding, but then there's been kind of an outcry for can you give us a shorter version? Can you help us just understand? So that's what we're going to do in these studies. We're going to go through the key points 
of that study and what those key scriptures, because there are scriptures that talk about being silent, being silent. There are scriptures that talk about not having leadership over men. There are scriptures that talk about the equality and the diversity of, of leadership and women and different roles. We're going to look at all of them so we get the key points. And we're going to start because all that the scriptures allow, we're not even doing that yet. I mean, we're not even, I mean, there's many things that the scriptures allow and promote. Women in the early church had very prominent roles and were very involved in the leadership of the church. But because of some of the restrictive scriptures, we've been hesitant. And the truth is probably women after about the second century lost a lot of leadership roles in the church. And the church became very male dominant. Um, and, and you know, we'll, we'll get into that in the future. But um so if you want the paper, go ahead and email me at metro at laicc.net and I'll I'll send you the paper. If you want you want to dig in, jump in deep, I'll send it to you. But we're going to cover a lot of this, okay? So women's leadership, a summary and review. So let's just jump on in here. So tonight we're going to look at, at uh, just a couple of scriptures. We're going to look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And it says, then God said, this is right at the beginning. So, God, you know, the beginning of Genesis you know, he is creation and he, you know, first day, second day, third day, fourth day. And it was good. And he always ends. And it is good. Okay. Because what God makes is good. What God does is good. And then we get to verse 26, the making of mankind. And he says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is a powerful, powerful paragraph that comes right out of the gate of creation with so rich with meaning and importance, especially nowadays, right? So he makes, um, it says, he makes mankind in, in his image and in his likeness. And he gives that mankind authority over all the rest of creation, which is not our topic right now, but I just want to say, this is not a, in some of the translations used to translate it, uh, dominion or control or leadership um, or power and and that's not really what this 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 paragraph this this phrase or this scripture is trying to in, in teach and the word in Hebrew which we'll get into another study it's not really saying that. it's more like responsibility over we are responsible for the earth for the animals for the creatures. All the animals that live in this world, in the sea, in the sky, on the earth. So it is a responsibility we've been given. Who? Who? Mankind or male and female. We share this responsibility. And God put us all in charge. He didn't say, man, you're in charge. Woman, just cheer him on. This is the responsibility that we all received. Okay, that's a freebie. It's not part of the study tonight. But, but here's where we're going to get into the words here. So then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Okay, first of all, mankind is the word Adam. Okay, or we get the name Adam from that, right? What does it mean? It means dirt person. It means earth man, earth, earth human. 
You know, some scriptures uh, say Adam, some scriptures say mankind, some scriptures say human, or translations of the Bible. They'll translate it differently. You could say dirt dude, you know, it's it's Adam, which comes from the root of that word is dirt person, right? It's come out of dirt. Same scripture in Ecclesiastes 3, where he says, from dirt you came and dirt you shall return. Or the classic version, from dust you come and to dust you shall return, right? That 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 we were made, God took the dirt of the earth and he blew on them. He breathed on it and gave it life. And that's us. But we're not, we're, we're, on the one hand, it's humbling that we're a pile of dirt that breathes. But on the other hand, he gave us something incredibly special. He says he made us, he made that in his image and in his likeness. That is incredibly important for this whole discussion and for the study we're going to do. The image comes from the Hebrew root word selem, or the Greek version is akon, or the English that we would say, where we get the word uh, icon from, an icon, something that's, that symbolizes somebody or somebody who symbolizes a people, right? It's It's an image thing. And and he made us in the in his icon. We are his image. He made us just like him. Um, I saw a picture of Aunt, my son Andrew, and in the picture, he looked just like me when I, he was probably about nineteen twenty. And I have another picture. I actually was going to post them side by side because somebody else did something similar. Um, and 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 we look like the same person almost. We look so much alike. And people would tell my son that all the time. Oh, you're just like your dad. And part of that was because he looked like me, but part of that was he was he is like me. He says and does things, and he walks like me, and he and he has phrases like me, and he just has a he has a personality very similar to mine that it reminds people of me. And that is a great thing. That's my boy. That's my son. That's you know. And and each of my daughters, we share. We all share something that's like me, and something that's like Michelle. And that gives us this special bond, this special relationship. And this is what God has done. He's made us in his icon, in his in his likeness. And and in and the word likeness is it's a root word is demuth, which is is a resemblance. You know, that's where you get the yeah, you look just like your dad, or you look just like your mom, you know, and, and uh, my daughter who's uh, in the ministry in Texas, people tell her that all the time. You look just like Michelle. You remind me so much of Michelle. And and that's that is that's what connects us. That is something very very special that we share. And then the very next sentence, he says, "God saw all that He had made. He looked at all the creation. He looked at mankind." Now, notice it says, "And it was very good." But notice that He said that He made mankind and He made them male and female. So both of us, male and female, carry. The image and the likeness of God. Both of us do. And it's in the implication of that that is so powerful. And I'll get to that. The next, at the end of, the, of that discourse, she says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It's not just good, it's very good. The, the Hebrew, tov meod, means really good, really good. I mean, God looked at them and said, 
This is excellent. You know, this you're awesome. I mean, wouldn't you like to, wouldn't you like to hear that from God? Just look at you and say, "You're really good. You're awesome." But that's how He feels about us. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So all this happened in the sixth time period, and so He makes us in His image and in His likeness. We are like God. Nothing else has this. Not the trees, not the animals, not the fish, not the birds in the air. Only we do. And that's incredibly important. The implications of that. You are made in the image and in the likeness of God Almighty. Nothing else created has that. But you do. You have that. And the implications is that every human, every human, is made in God's likeness. Every human that is stuck in human trafficking, every human who's been shot or tortured in war, every human who lives in poverty scrounging for food and shelter, every human, every human, male, female, black, white, brown, every background, every language, even every religion, every part of the world, every single person carries the image and the likeness of God. And that makes them precious. That makes you precious, sacred, holy in creation. Every human is equally good. Dov Meod is equally made very well every human being and we come in different colors and different sizes and different hair and different eyes and all these things but you reflect God and God thinks that is good that's great every human is made to be like God we carry that image we thrive we flourish when the more we are like God the happier we are the more content we are the all the things that people in the world chase after security and love and relationships and all that. The more we are like God, the more we have those things. The less we are like God, the quicker they slip away. Every human, therefore, has dignity, is, should be respected, should be valued, has worth, has meaning. You see, you see how outrageous it is for God to see in our world where we, we, we categorize each other. We create levels of value and importance. We value rich people over poor. We value you know, races over other races. We look down on other races or languages or ethnicities or different countries that people come from. These are the things that, frankly, Satan does. He devalues all of us. And this is why... It's so radically important to understand that for God, male and female, they're both his. And they are both made in his image and in his likeness. Because he made mankind a generic term, person, earth person, and he made them male and female. Both carry his image. Both carry his likeness. And this is a theme that runs through the entire Bible. And how outrageous it is to God that one race would look down on another race. Or that one gender would look down on another gender. Or that 
People would hate each other because of their differences. You understand the value of every human being before God. How in the world could anybody enslave somebody else? How in the world can anybody be a racist? How in the world can anybody devalue someone because she's a woman? You know, or whether pay them less or question them, what, you know, their value or their input or what they bring. I mean, the fact is all of us have that. You have that. The image and the likeness of God. When we're reaching out to people to even come to church or to become Christians, we're trying to restore them to what they were designed to be, to who they were created to be. And this theme runs through the entire scriptures, all Old and New Testament. You know, in the book of Acts, when the church was going to start, and you got to understand that when the church started, the culture was that you are only valuable if you're a Jewish male over the age of 30. And yet, look at what God says to them when they're going to start the church. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I mean, look at how diverse this list is. Look at how inclusive God is. Old, young, generational bias. No way. Old and young are valuable. Uh, male and female, men and women, boys and girls, everybody is going to get something from God because he made us all. And it's for every Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. All these, everybody is made in God's likeness. And what he was launching was a church that would have all of them. Instead of just the Jew and just the male being valued, it's all of them. God loves to challenge how people think in the world and challenges the world all the time. Even when Genesis 1 was written and says that, that he made mankind and he made them male and female with his image. When that came out, the world, these are ancient times where women had no value in society. They were traded like property or like livestock. They had no voice. They had no legal rights. It was a completely oppressive society towards women now, I'm not saying every woman was miserable, but that is how the culture was. And in some countries, it still is. And, and yet God would say something this radical, that women were made in his image, with his likeness. Challenges our thinking. Challenges systems that uphold that, or governments, or, or cultures, or policies that uphold that. That no, 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 no. You do not devalue anybody because everybody is made from God in, in his image. And in Colossians 3, it says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So he's, he just tears it all down. It's, the world was separated between Jews and Gentiles. Nah, not in God. No Jew, no Gentile. Not circumcised and uncircumcised. Not barbarians and Scythians. Not slaves or free. I mean, half the Roman Empire, it was said, were slaves or living as slaves. And that, and the society was totally divided that. The haves and the have-nots. God basically saying, no, there's none of that. There's Not in the church. Not in the kingdom of God. Not in the kingdom of God. We may have different roles. And we may have different responsibilities at times. Because of our age or because of our gender or because of things. But, that, but value is not tied to this. And this is where we really have a hard time. Because we think, well, if somebody's the boss, then they're more valuable. No, not so. 
Not in God's kingdom. The king is valuable because he's the king and he makes big decisions. But the guy who sweeps in the floor and, and mops the floor after the king left the room, he's just as valuable to God. He's just as much in God's image and God's likeness as the king. And they have different positions and different things they do, but they are both valuable. The reason why we don't like lowly positions is because we think then we're less valuable. And, the, and, and most people's deep, deep down fear, honestly, and I found this all over the world, most people's deep down fear is that they have no value, that they're worthless. But God values everybody. I mean, God challenges our thinking. In the first century, women were not allowed to give testimonies in court because they were thought to be completely unreliable and untruthful. So what does God do when he raises Jesus from the dead? Who's the first one to witness that? Mary and Mary. And who's the first one to tell the the, the apostles? Mary. And they don't even believe her. They go run and find out because they can't believe it either. And, and it shows you the prejudice, right? Even the apostles, it shows you the prejudice there against them. But God loves it. He gives it, He makes them the first witnesses. Those who are not allowed to be witnesses in a human court, he makes witnesses in the court of creation. They are the first to see Jesus rise. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave or free. There is not male or f- and female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promises. You know, he just, he, all those divisions and barriers of how we set up value and caste systems and social rankings, not in the kingdom of God. We are all made in God's likeness. We also, I would tell people when we would go on hope projects, I would tell them, especially the young people, I would tell them, look, you're not a superior serving an inferior you're not reaching down to help somebody who's inferior because that person is made in god's likeness that person is in the image of god and the truth is they may be more spiritual than you they may be more happy than you they may be more more grounded in the word of god that we don't know we serve as equals equals serving equals because we are equals we are all God's children. And that makes all the difference in the world. We get high and mighty thinking when, when I help somebody, I'm the superior one. No, mm-mm, not with God. We're all the same. And when we help each other, we're equals helping one another. And then lastly, I'm going to close out with the scripture. But Jesus, and, and, and this is, a, this is, just shows you how, how, how radical Jesus was. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, you know, Jesus, this is the, 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 the Pharisees and the experts in the law were trying to trap Jesus. And I love it because it's knowing their evil intent. Jesus could read their minds. He knew. I mean, how scary would that be that, that Jesus walks in? He knows exactly what you're thinking. You're not going to hide anything, right? And he says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. Of course, they were trying to trap him into a political, uh, a political dead end or a political no-win situation where if he says pay taxes to Caesar, then he's supporting the evil Roman Empire. But if he doesn't say it, then he's supporting rebellion and breaking the law. So they ask him, should he pay taxes? He says they, they he says to them, show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image, whose icon, whose icon is this? And those and and whose inscription, 
Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. The coin had Caesar's icon. They give it to Caesar. You have God's icon. He said, give to God what belongs to God. You are God's icon. Give yourself to God. That's what he was saying. You, you are God's child. Be with your father. You are holy. Be holy and be with what, what be with God. You see, this is the way Jesus looked at everything. It's why he loved everybody. It's why he was so against anybody oppressing. It's why God hates injustice. It's why God hates war and racism and, and conflicts and tribes looking down on other tribes and, and nations looking down on other nations. And everybody's done it. For centuries, the Middle East dominated the world. For centuries, Europe and dominated the world through Rome or through Greece or through England or through Germany. For centuries, for, for decades, the United States has dominated the world. And everybody, first thing everybody always wants to do is look down on everyone else. And that is so opposite of how God sees us. Every one of us is precious to him, is made in his image, is his child, his daughter, his son, his child, and so are you. So tonight I will end with these questions to give you so in your discussions. How does that make you feel to know that you were made in God's image and likeness? If you want, take a picture of this. How should we therefore treat each other? What does this do to gender discrimination, racism, or social discrimination, wars, gangs, or tribal rivalries? What would the world look like if we respected and valued each other like this, if we really understood who we are and who is everyone else, what a difference that would make. So that's the lesson. That's our, that's our, that's our base ground to start in this study and to see and we look at the different roles, the different responsibilities that we all carry. But what is very, very important here is that we understand that our value is not determined by them. Not at all. When I was a young father, and we had we had just had the the girls, uh, Lena and Alexis, and I remember Sam Sam and Jerry Lang were training us, and I remember Sam telling me, "When you talk to your daughters, tell them you love them because they're your daughters, not because they're smart, not because they're pretty, not because they're talented, or because they get good grades, or because they're athletic, or whatever. It's because they're your daughters." And I always would do that. Dad loves you. You know why? And they would know because I'm your daughter. You see, because there's nothing would change that. You could get, you could not be athletic. You could not, you could, you, there's all these things that the world values. You don't have to achieve to be loved by dad. You're loved by dad because you're my daughter. And nothing's going to change that. Nothing will change the fact that you're my daughter. And I would say the same thing to my son. Nothing will change the fact that you're my son and I love you. Because I didn't want their confidence to be based on their talents or their looks or their abilities. That's how we all got messed up in this world. And we have to understand our identity so we can be confident in God. So we close out with that. 
I do have uh, uh, on a, a sad note to share. Um, it's a victory, but it's also sad. We this week um, we lost our brother Bernard Williams to COVID nineteen, and uh, many of you don't know who he is, but he. But the, many of you who've been in the region a long time know him and remember him. He became a Christian in this region. He was actually in the West region, and um, and uh, unfortunately he lost his life to COVID nineteen. And although we rejoice in the victory of that he was a disciple of Jesus and now he can rest and wait for the return of Jesus and be raised in the resurrection, and his life will not end. He will continue with the Lord. But we also can't help but to be sad because uh, death always hurts everybody. And, you know, it, it hurts the family. It hurts those that were close to him, you know, spouses, kids. Obviously, this is really hard. So I'm going to close out with a prayer here, uh, and then I have one special announcement after that. Let's let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, always being near us and always being available for us to turn to, rely on, lean on, draw strength from, and be encouraged by. And we pray especially uh, right now for, Father, the, the many who are hurting because uh, somebody they love has lost a life. And there are many, Father, and I know in our fellowship, our own fellowship, our own region. Uh, a number of us have lost parents or aunts or uncles and and are uh, mourning through this. And I know that there are many who are sick, and we pray, God, that, that you would protect them, that you would strengthen them, that you would bring them to health, full health. And we thank you so much for all those that are working hard in the hospitals and, and medical places to, to help us all. And we pray that you protect them and strengthen them. Help us, Father, to be encouragement to the Williams family and help them please God to find strength and solace in you as well as all of us who've lost somebody uh, and, and, and strengthen us please help us to depend and rely on you God we love you we thank you for our family and we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus name we pray amen so um, the, uh, one final announcement just to just to tell you um, uh, we have this exciting thing called a swap meet coming up and um, uh, Casey Michelle Esmond are taking charge of it. And what is a Christian swap meet? It's gonna it's a Christian swap meet. You know how you mostly go to swap meets and you either sell stuff or you buy stuff. You know, there's exchange of money to, and whatever you need, you can find it there. And whatever you don't need, you can sell it there, right? So a Christian swap meet is basically the same idea, but but on the basis of you know of Acts four where he talks about there were no needy among them. We're not selling or buying anything. We're just giving each other things. And so it's a chance to, if you have, you know, two hammers to give one hammer to somebody who doesn't have a hammer. You know, you've got a bunch of baby clothes that you don't need anymore. Give it to somebody who just had a baby, you know, that could totally use that. Or you've got, you know, your kids are all grown up like me and you got sports stuff in a bin in the garage that you really don't use anymore. Then you could give it to a family who's got young kids, you know. I can give it to them and they can use all that stuff rather than going out and buying it new again. So it's an opportunity for us to just share in that same spirit of giving to one another. And there'll be more instructions. Instructions are in the bulletin as well. But so basically the way it's going to work is next week you have time to take a picture of your item and send it to, to Casey. And that'll be in the bulletin, the, the, the where to send it, all that kind of stuff. And you can send it to them and, and there has to be a contact number there. And for one week it'll be posted only for the church. And and we'll have a chance to say, hey, I need that, you know, and go get it. 
um, and and we'll arrange pickup, no, no contact pickup, you know, be left somewhere in front of the house or in the garage or something that somebody can come get it. But it's going to be a blast and a great way to help each other. We'll have a couple of days reserved, first couple of days specifically for single parents. Um, and, you know, we all have things that we could share, whether it's, you know, whatever, even appliances. Some people have an extra refrigerator. We've done this, Michelle and I have done this in the ministries we've led for the last uh, few churches we've been with. It was a blast. The church had a great time, and uh, and, and, and we were all strengthened and encouraged. And it's, again, in the spirit of let there be no needy among them. So there'll be more details coming, but, but you start thinking now, okay, what can I share? What do I have two of? What do I not need in my garage, but it's still really good? No junk, please, and no trash items. Only what is really good and really good condition. So that was a, a lot tonight. Thank you for being with us. God bless you, and uh, take care. We'll see you next week. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.